I'm going to read uh, from Exodus chapter 3. And before I do that, um, I want to make reference also to uh, a number of authors that I am just uh, overwhelmed with as far as their writing and stuff like that, in particular with this passage. Daniel, Danielle Strickland. She has an incredible book on Exodus. And uh, Walter Brueggemann, a credible message on Exodus. And then William Willimon as well. And so the three of them have inspired this message. And so I just want you to know that. Um, if you want a good read, uh, pick up anything from Danielle Strickland. She is an incredible uh, Canadian uh, author and preacher and uh, just an absolute delight. So I would just encourage you to do that. Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Prezrites, Hivites, and Jezebites. And now the cry of the Israelites have reached me. I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This is the word of our Lord. Many, many years ago, Pastor Tom felt the call of God in his heart. I don't think it was a burning bush experience, but you felt the call of God in your heart, and then events and people along the way confirmed that call. When they heard him speak about it, when they saw him live into it, they confirmed that call. And then congregation after congregation also confirmed that call by calling him to be their pastor. And now you, as a church, have confirmed it once again and have called him to be a pastor here. Now I want to show a picture of Pastor Tom. 
There it is. Remember those days, Tom? Where were you? Uh, where did you get that shirt? What were you doing in Hawaii? Preaching the gospel. You see, while the rest of us stiffs were in Kansas and Iowa and Manitoba, <laughs> he was in Hawaii. I thought I had to wear a nice bright shirt just for you today so that, you know, I could at least finally say, look at me now, I got the same kind of shirt. Who does he kind of look like there? A movie star. A little taller, if you make him a little taller. Thomas Magnum. You know, he would wear this shirt at seminary. And he would wear it so often, we finally got a little sick of it. We started nicknaming him Thomas Magnum. So Pastor Thomas Magnum is here. You remember all that? <laughs> yeah, my memory's not so good, so I have to make up some of it. <laughs> anyway, just kidding. Here we go. So what I'd like to do is I want to take a look at the call that Tom has, but also the call that you as a church has together. And to do that, we're going to take a look at Holy Mo or Holy Moses. And we're going to compare Holy Moses and Thomas Magnum. Pastor Tom. Let me just give you a brief idea of the call. To speak against darkness and oppression, and to invite people into light and liberation. All right? Just hang on to that. First of all, we have the burning bush. You could take off the picture, that might be distracting for us. <laughs> First of all, we have the burning bush. And uh, what we need to know is that fires are not uncommon in the wilderness. I mean, in the Canadian wilderness, fires happen. Like, you take a look at BC. And it's not because people were reckless. Sometimes that's the case. But many times it's just lightning. Our forests are like tinderboxes. And lightning strikes and the whole thing goes up in flames. I've read that in the Middle East, something similar takes place. There are certain bushes that have a very oily substance. And when it gets super, super hot, they just erupt into flames. So what's the significance of this burning bush business? Now, some authors would say that it's God's attention grabber. He wanted to get Moses' attention, so he got this bush, and he, the bush is in flames, and he's got Moses' attention. But the text pays a little attention to this bush. It says that Moses pays a little attention to the bush. He thinks it's a strange sight, and it's a strange sight because it's not being consumed. If you know anything about fire, fire consumes anything in its path. It's never done unless there's nothing to eat, nothing to burn. Then it's done. So Moses was interested in it, and 
I think we should be somewhat interested in it. It's just not God's attention grabber. I think there's some revelation in this bush that's important. You see, in the Bible, fire is a symbol of God's presence, his holy presence. But in this situation, we have it that the bush is not consumed by the fire. And so the message, I think, is that God's holy presence was there, but it wasn't consuming Moses. It wasn't burning him up. There was grace there. There was safety there. It was a good place. Moses needed to hear that. That the holy God is a safe God. And the children of Israel needed to hear that. That the holy God is a safe God. Tom needs to hear that. That the holy God who calls him is a gracious and safe God. And you as a church need to hear that as well. The holiness of God and the grace of God are not in contradiction with each other. The holy God is the same as the gracious God. That brings us to the next piece of this passage. After getting Moses' attention and after going through some formalities, you've got to take off your shoes. This is holy ground. Pay attention. God formally introduces himself. Now, most often when we go to this passage, preachers do, we go to the I am who I am piece. Let's not jump there. Let's just stay here for a moment. What does God say? How does he introduce himself? He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. You have to remember that it's been 400 years that they've heard from God. 400. And so you imagine that it must have been tough. All of a sudden God speaks. Who is this God? The question, I think, is what did Moses and, and Israel, what did they believe about this God after 400 years? I think Daniel Danielle Strickland says this, there was plenty of time through that 400 years to forget who God is. And there was also plenty of time to move into other gods or to you know, get mixed up with other gods. So where were they at when it came to their understanding of God? This formal introduction is extremely important. Walter Brueggemann and Danielle Strickland points out a few things. They point out a number of things. First of all, it tells us that God is specific. That he knows his people by name. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we can continue the list of names that he is the God of. Second, it reveals to us that God is relational. 
that he works in and through families and communities. And third, it points out that God is a promise keeper, trustworthy, covenantal. So God knows you by name. Tom, he knows you by name. Jody, he knows you by name. He knows each one here by name. He knows everyone in this congregation by name. He knows the people around this church by name. God wants to work in your families and in your community. And guess what? He wants to start to do that through you, each one. Don't look at the person next to you. You. He wants to work through you to bless your families, to bless this community, to bless the community that surrounds this church, to bless Kitchener. God works through relationships. And third, you can trust him. As you take on the adventure again, the adventure of ministry together, along with Tom and Jody, you could trust him. Sometimes it'll feel like you don't have the resources, you don't have the strength, but you could trust him. He will be there for you. He will give you the strength in times of need and provide the resources for the ministry that he's called you to. That brings us to the cries of the people. So after the formal introduction, the spiritual teachers are putting it this way, and I think it's so important to hear it this way. God opens up to Moses. And he says, I have seen my people. I have heard my people. I've heard their cries. And so I have come down to rescue my people and liberate them. He's sharing with Moses what's on his heart. This is who God is. He is concerned about suffering, injustice, oppression. This is who God is. Now, William Willimon, in one of his sermons, talks about atheism and says, atheism comes in all shapes and sizes. It's not just this uniform thing. We think it is, but it's not. He says, there's a lot of atheists in our society today that still believe in a, in a higher power, but they call themselves atheists. They talk like this, the universe was good to me. What they don't believe is a caring, loving God that reaches out into their lives. They don't believe that, but they do believe in some vague universal power. But the, the whole book of Exodus is, is about this God who is specific, who's relational, who's covenantal, who reaches down into our lives. I mean, one of the psalms that I think are, is so important, um, Psalm 113, 
It says the same thing. I call this the Christmas song. Listen to it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forever from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. The name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted above the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits on throne on high, yet who stoops down to look on the heavens and on the earth? Kind of like what we're hearing. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of the people. He settles the children in, uh, with the women in their homes as happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. This psalm is a Christmas psalm. It points to God, and it points to what God is going to do through Jesus Christ. So take a look at the Gospels as a confirmation of Exodus. Take a look at the Gospels as a confirmation of Psalm 113. Who is God? He sends Jesus Christ down. To do what? To speak against oppression. To invite people to liberation in his name. At one point, Moses had heard this cry, the cries of Israel. You remember the story. There was a fight between an Israelite and an Egyptian. Moses steps in and goes too far, kills the Egyptian, runs for his life to Midian, finds a beautiful wife named Sipporah, Years passed. Life went on. Did Moses forget the cries of Israel throughout those years? Did he lose sight of Israel? Did he grow deaf to those cries? Had he, had he forgotten the heart of God? Sometimes I ask myself, has that happened to me at times? Where life goes on, years pass, my passion has dwindled, the call is not as sharp as it used to be, I'm not hearing things or seeing things like God does as I used to. And I think sometimes churches have to look at themselves and say, what about us? God hates oppression. Let me say it again. God hates oppression in all its forms, whether it is uh, prostitution, whether it is, it is, it is slavery of all kinds and sorts like sweat shops. God hates oppression. He loves liberation. Do we? Because he's calling Tom and he's calling you to get in on this. 
And so we have to ask the question, do we? Is that still something that's burning in our hearts as well? And if it isn't, that's okay, but it needs to start to burn at some point. Do we have the heart of God? Do we see with the eyes of God? Do we hear with the ears of God? Do we have the heart of God? That's something Tom had to figure out and ask himself before he accepted the call here. Every time, hey Tom, when you get a new call, it hasn't happened that often. You've been in the last place a long time, but every time you get a new call, you have to ask the question, is it still what God is asking me to do? Am I still passionate about this? Is this where I'm supposed to be? But it's not just Tom that's being asked that question. You as a church are being asked in this whole relationship. Let's take a look at the call for a moment. I find it kind of interesting. God says to, to Moses, I have heard, seen, heard, and I'm coming down to rescue and liberate. So now you go, Moses, <laughs> and go take, take a, a walk. Have a visit with Pharaoh. See how that goes. <laughs> it's just, oh God, I thought this is your job. You just said, I am coming down. I'm going to rescue. I'm going to liberate you. Now you put me on the hook. It's my job. I like what Walter Brueggemann says. Um, God assigned Moses a job. This is human work. This is dangerous work. What is this work? It is to speak against darkness and oppression and to invite people to light and liberation in Jesus Christ. If the church loses sight of that, then the church loses its identity. We all should be able to relate to this because we are all slaves to something in our lives. We all are being oppressed in some ways and need God's liberation, his continued liberation in our lives. We should all be able to relate to this. If we take a look at Kitchener and, and, and Waterloo and Cambridge, there is oppression in these cities. And it's not just on the streets. There are people being held captive in their homes by toxic relationships. There are children being abused. There are people that are addicted and need freedom. It's human work. It's dangerous work. But it's a work that God is calling Tom to do and 
calling you together to do. Let me close by just saying this. Moses had some doubts. <laughs> he better. <laughs> My goodness gracious. You know, if a call is not big, it's not worth it. Right? It's, it's just true. If the call is not big enough, why even bother with it? This is a big call. And if we don't have doubts about this, <laughs> something's wrong with us. Take our temperature. He had doubts. Five times he, <laughs> he, he rebutted and, and he challenged God on this thing. And you know, God just smiled and then he didn't smile too much. <laughs> he just nodded. But what did God do? He said to Moses, I know it's big, but you got me. You got me on your side. And then he also gave Moses community. Don't miss it. He gave Moses community. Moses wasn't going alone anymore. Who did he have? Aaron. He gave him community. So Tom, this is way too big for you, buddy. But you've got God, and you've got community. And it's okay to have doubts, but remember, we've got God, and we've got community. We're not alone in this work. So may God bless you, Tom and Jody, and may God bless your community church. I hope you are reignited with a passion for the work that he's called you to. Amen.